Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa. And this is Daniel Winter. We're two fans of board games, video games, and everything in between. How are you doing this week, Daniel? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a pretty uh, relatively warm weekend here in Vancouver, so mostly just been hibernating, uh, a little bit of baking. Uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Have you been uh, enjoying the warm weather at the beach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's I'm sure it's nothing like uh, like Australia, but uh, we, we have a couple of nice beaches here uh, around the Vancouver area, and um, I don't get out to them nearly enough, so I'm glad my wife uh, and kids convinced me. Uh, we went out to Jericho, which is closer to UBC. Really nice beach, like nice fine sand, and um, uh, it's beautiful out there. Just <laughs> just go early to beat the crowds. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it's nice. But not, it doesn't get quite as hot as it does in Australia, so that's definitely a plus. Yeah, although, you know, with how the world is going now, it's you, you never can tell. No. no. <laughs> never can tell what you're going to face. But on a more positive note, I hear you have a quiz idea for me or a question for me. Yes, continuing our little uh, icebreaker getting to know you questionnaire, uh, I thought I would ask, uh, since we're talking board games this week, uh, what was the board game that got you into the hobby? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, funny enough, I sort of have like uh, a quick answer, and then I have the longer answers. <laughs> so uh, I'll keep them. I'll try and keep them both short. So probably the quick answer is I got into uh, the game that got me into the hobby would probably be it would probably be Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, uh, I mean, I, I fully consider that to be a board game. Uh, it's, it's, oh, yeah, you no, know, keeping here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, um, you know, it, it's, it obviously derived from the D and D tradition and I played some shadow run, uh, RPG tabletop RPG in my uh, junior days. Uh, I played some access and allies, but never really got into it. You know, j- that was just sort of in the milieu. Uh, and, but Magic the Gathering was probably the game that I got into it when it just came out uh, in the 90s. Uh, oh, the, like the the, out, the the first? Oh, yeah. yeah first release? The first few sets, anyways. Wow. I don't know if I was in day one or anything. But uh, any, yeah. Any Black Lotuses? <laughs> <laughs> if I did, I wouldn't have remembered. I, it was, I was so sold, young. Sold them for uh, candy money. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I probably traded them away for some, uh, I don't know, some rare lands or something. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, so that definitely got me in uh, early on. But uh, that didn't really stick with me long term. I, I still kept my, my uh, love from my childhood of video games. Uh, and then uh, it was really like much later, um, late 2000s, so 2008 or something like that. I was working at a like an app design company, and we were trying to come up with some game ideas. And I think it was my suggestion to like do some like paper prototypes. It's like, come on, guys, like let's figure this out in paper. So I decided to take it upon myself to go to like a hobby shop, and uh, I, I saw these interesting looking board games. So funny enough, <laughs> the game that got me into the hobby board game industry or, uh, of late was a game called Last Night on Earth. Do you know that one? Oh, yes. I th- I, I, I've not played it, but it's a zomb- zombie survival yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a totally forgettable, kind of schlocky zombie fighting game. Total like be- you know, beer and pretzels. But the production quality caught my interest. It was all photographic artwork with uh, real models uh, portraying the characters and then acting out the scenes. And I thought that was cool at the time. 
And shortly thereafter, I got into Dominion, and then all bets were off. Yeah, I mean, those those thematic games are certainly attention grabbers uh, for bringing someone into the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously it worked somehow. So, uh, yeah, I probably <laughs> still have that copy. It did its job. So I'm thankful for that. Excellent. Um, how about yourself? Uh, well, growing up, I had the typical collection of Monopoly I think I had Simpsons Monopoly was, was my uh, flavor of choice. Uh, and a few versions of Trivial Pursuit, CEO, uh, Lord of the Rings, Trivial Pursuit. And I think the only I think designer board, like the, what, what would be regarded as a, as a designer board game by today's standards, is actually had the, I think it was Rainer Knizia actually did a Lord of the Rings board game around All right. 2000 the cooperative one right yeah they just actually just recently you got a, a big reprint um must have been last year for the 20th anniversary actually uh so yeah i played quite a bit of that back in the day uh but then again <laughs> dove back into video games for, for many years until university and actually had a, a great uh geek club at university that was uh that had regular uh pizza and board games nights uh that reintroduced me to the hobby and i think the first one that really grabbed my attention was actually munchkin not quite as strong on at these days but uh, it, it, it got me in the front door by the way we feel i don't know maybe maybe not so much pride in some of the titles that we uh, brought us in but you know like they they definitely have their place and exactly and there's nothing wrong with playing that game and never progressing beyond that either for many people that that's the only game they need Okay, well, uh, bringing back up to speed, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I, I jumped back to, into Yakuza a bit. Um, I, I finished one recently, and I got back in two, and it's very, very much among the same lines, <laughs> uh, but with some nice improvements. Uh, but I got a little burnt out already. <laughs> Maybe I, got, I went too hard into it. So I bounced onto the newer Star Wars shooty oh, fighty game the the dog fighting one. something squadron that sounds about right yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's on game pass it's i'm playing it on the og xbox uh, one it runs super slow uh, <laughs> but you know the art's great production's great um so that's fun kind of gone into an rpg uh mood so i started up one called solasta i think it's a d20 based modern isometric uh, CRPG, um, and it's on Xbox Game Pass Ultimate for PC. And it's got some really cool stuff going for it. It's got a really diverse cast of characters, and it's got some real nice modern quality of life touches. So I've been enjoying that. Excellent. I've actually heard of that one, but uh, I'm always in the mood for an RPG, so I might have to take a look. Yeah, go check it out. It's easy to, it's easy to play on uh, Game Pass. Excellent. How about yourself? Uh, well, I spent a little, quite a bit more time wrapping up Dragon Quest XI. Uh, since that game it just keeps on going, uh, there's the true ending and then the final true ending. And then, and then the final, final true ending. And Yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite do the final one, but no, I got 99% of the game I completed um, to the full extent of my capabilities at least. So I, I'm done with that game and had a great time with it. In terms of trying to find a family-friendly game I can have on when my daughter's around, I've been uh, I, I picked up the Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker. Actually, on it's on the the Wii U, so it's uh, not on current generation uh, console, unfortunately. But uh, I had an uh, an old second-hand Wii U with some cheap games, so I started digging through that. 
and having a great time. That's great. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with uh, old hardware. Uh, my son forced me to dig out uh, original Wii. And uh, apparently from the Vancouver Library, you can borrow video games, including Wii games. Yes, yeah, I borrowed a few games uh, from the library there. Um, it's great to, to try before you buy. Very nice. What do you think? Should we roll into the uh, main game for the episode? Uh, let's do it. Yeah. Okay, well, we're returning to the board game table this week with Beyond the Sun, a uh, 2020 release uh, designed by Dennis K. Chan. Uh, art was by Franz Vowinkle and published by Rio Grande Games. Right. So I think you and I have played this at least, what, three, three or four times together? Oh, I've played it half a dozen times on BGA now, I think, but uh, with, with mm. various groups. Uh, yeah. BGA, that's a, a great way to play it, and and maybe w- one of the reasons why it's gotten a, a decent amount of attention. Yeah, it's one of the few games from last year that went. That it was basically on BGA from its initial release, which was a great way of getting uh, word out there. What kind of game is this for for the people who haven't tried it? You would you would just say it's a worker placement game? Yeah, it was an interesting question I was going to ask in regards to that because I think officially it is classified as a worker placement except there is only one worker. You only ever have the one. But it does function the same way. Uh, you're, put, you're using that as an action selection and you can use it to block other people from taking that action. Uh, so it has all of the uh, mechanics of a worker placement game but just uh, but simplified in that sense with the, only the one, I guess. Yeah, I, I totally classify that as a worker placement. Uh, if you have one worker, one of my favorite designers, Uwe Rosenberg's uh, Le Havre, has only one worker and it works out great. Oh, okay. This game, like a lot of modern games, has a blend of other uh, elements like area control. <laughs> it's a sci-fi sort of galaxy, uh, I guess, conquering. Uh, and you control these like star sectors, right? Competing over control of a star system to then colonize it as it's the ultimate goal in in every sci-fi setting i guess i think a big part of the gameplay comes from the uh, tech tree yeah well so usually the tech tree would be just a side mechanic to the area control map but here it's uh it's reversed the tech tree really has the center stage in this game yeah absolutely there's no way to not engage with the tech tree in this game it ties directly with the uh, worker placement uh, elements uh, in a really clever way. Basically, all of the actions are taken by visiting the various nodes on that tech tree, both uh, revealing new technologies further up in, uh, in high technologies, uh, and also they, they give you the actions that l- allow you to manipulate your, uh, your income and economy, the the ships on the board allow you to colonize uh all those actions are coming straight from the technologies on that tech tree it is a sort of a tree in the sense that there's a four sort of starting points and those four starting points are fixed aren't they in every game economics science research slash research warfare is one of them and the other one is what is it production i think one is colonization there's one for each of the two types of resources, the food and ore, and then one is 
I think, building or moving ships around. Uh, right. So they, they are all the very, the, the, the bare basics of each of the, the four mechanics that you're going to be taking in the game, basically. So every game of Beyond the Sun will start with a, a standard set of actions, which is always available if, if you play with the same number of people. And then the, there are those four initial starting points uh, in the tech tree. That's considered tech level one. From there on in, there's tech level two, three, and four. The four level one technologies are revealed at the start of the game, but unresearched. You do have to actually dedicate time into researching those. But beyond that, the further tiers from two to four are un completely unknown. So you can only find out what they are by first researching the lower level uh, prerequisites and then spending a research action to reveal what that next level uh, is. And so you're never quite sure what you're going to get when you research a higher level technology. You do get a, a little event card that will usually give you some bonuses just to compensate that uh, uncertainty and you being the first to sort of break through with that technology. Uh, and then other people can then in turn follow up and uh, research it after you. And, and that's one of the areas in this game which leads to some really interesting interaction. Like with a lot of tech tree type games, you have the choice of going really shallow and wide or going narrow and deep. Kind of navigating that is really subtle. And <laughs> I can't say that I have mastered it, <laughs> but maybe that's a sign of a good game design is that it's not easy to master. You have to sort of read the changing setup based on what other players are revealing. I imagine that mastering the game will really come down to memorizing those technologies, knowing what's available, and then really searching them out. Because I mean, you do get some agency when you research. You have the choice between two of a particular category. So you do, you do have some choice to influence how the technology is, is going to advance. And you so you might take one that's going to benefit you or avoid the technology that you know someone else is, is is desperately looking for and and sort of force them away from that uh that direction <laughs> yeah that, that reminds me of one game that you and i played where i think i was doing fairly good on the research and i guess i thought that i wanted to prevent others from getting to the level four research technologies before i did <laughs> so i i saw the option to reveal the one that let you unlock the level four tech and by the time that I wanted to unlock the level four tech, such a technology just didn't come up. So I was never able to do it. And just created I, the roadblock for everyone. Yeah, well, I <laughs> made a roadblock for myself, which I felt pretty <laughs> frustrated with myself about, but uh, pretty funny in the end too. Yeah, there is some careful timing required with uh, the way you really advance in those technologies because they because it's the same resource. Like you have these cubes. Uh, that that provide your your basic workers, your ships, the 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 scientists that you're putting down onto these technologies. They all come from the same resource cubes, basically, and and they are quite limited by how many you have over the game. And so, if you spend too much time researching, you're going to find yourself with no cubes left to to create ships. So, pacing yourself and not expanding too rapidly is is really quite key to to mastering this game. Yeah, and that's another big aspect of the, the game is the economy of the game. From the outset, it doesn't look that complex. Uh, I think there's like two basic resources. There's there's ore and then there's population. You're constantly given a choice between sort of expanding your 
capacity for collecting more ore or more population. And I found that it's a sort of a a challenge to make sure that you always have the right balance of those to achieve sort of the next two, three big tactical moves that you want to pull off. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of each turn, you have an income phase end of your turn, but you can only take either food or ore. Uh, so you really have to pace it obviously very carefully so that you don't uh, then spend two or three turns building building your resources back up again. Right. And I, I don't want to explain it here because I think I will do a terrible job, but um, <laughs> every player has this fairly elegant looking uh, player board where all of their uh, cubes are lined up and the cubes can represent population. They can represent uh, the ship strength. It's difficult to explain. It's fairly easy to visualize once you have it in front of you. <laughs> you just have to go check it out. You have to watch a couple of how to play videos and really get a good sense of it because um, it's not immediate. And uh, yeah, that that's where the challenge comes from is you have to really keep everything balanced throughout the course of the game with all the changing sort of scenarios. Reminded me of the elegance of the player board components in another space control game uh, like Eclipse. Oh, yes. I haven't played Eclipse for quite some time, uh, but I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a classic 4X game that leans into... Like, well, it's, it's one of the, the classic uh, genres that include tech trees as just part of the, the, the bigger picture. Yeah, there there are actually a lot of parallels between this game and Eclipse. Um, we can talk about it, it during our, our game comparison section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I was talking about there was just uh, strictly the comparison between the um, player boards and how your resource production and your resource sort of utilization is tracked. Yeah, I've seen the new, the new edition of Eclipse has quite a uh, little ingenious little uh, plastic boards with clips that go around the sort of frame of that to, to track everything. It looks quite clever, but I haven't had a chance to try that, unfortunately, yet. My experience is limited to version one of Eclipse as well. Yeah, should we talk a little bit about the graphic design at this point? Yeah, what, what there is of it, at least. Uh, obviously, it's very... Uh, minimalistic or uh, utilitarian is probably a better term for it. There's very little in terms of uh, artwork in the game. I mean, the, the, you, look, you look at the the box and it's quite evocative with, with, with the artwork there, but there's very little of that to be found inside the box, unfortunately. Uh, utilitarian is, is quite a, a generous uh, term for the, <laughs> the artwork. Uh, yeah, the box art is fantastic. It's very reminiscent of, you know, 19... 1960s pulp sci-fi magazine covers. Uh, the board is very, you know, functional. The iconography is bordering on the, the dry complexity of a race for the galaxy. Uh, you will definitely have to sort of squint at the iconography and reference back to, you know, reference sheets to remember what each of those do. But uh, probably by your second or third play, you'll have them down pat. I don't, I don't think it's quite as bad as uh, Race for the Galaxy. There's not quite as many symbols to actually learn in this. Uh, there's, there's like only a handful that you really need to figure out. But the, the problem is, is just so many of them splayed across the board uh, and just trying to take in all your options at a glance can be quite tricky as you uh, scan across the various layers of technologies, especially if you, if you happen to find yourself on the wrong side of the board. I mean, this being very text heavy you really want to be able to get a a good look at that unfortunately yeah you know you raise a really good point because i've never played this in the physical world i've only played it on board game arena 
So of course, in Board Game Arena, it's very easy for everyone to be looking at the board state in the optimal orientation. But that's not the case with the physical game, is it? No, I mean, I I, I do actually have the physical game. Uh, I've only played it, like, I, I mocked up a solo version, basically. Played, I played by myself. I've not played with other people to really experience that. And some of the elements certainly are better to visualize, like the uh, the resources on your player boards, for example, because you've got these nice recessed double layer boards and everything and, that, and that, that's that's quite nice but the the, the board the tech, the tech tree board itself is just so sprawling it, it's really hard to take in your options at any given time the colors sort of tend to, to blend together and i mean i have heard one uh a couple of people suggest that's partly why they're why it's a good thing that there isn't any artwork that it will just further distract from being able to read that text, which is really key. Yeah, I would argue with that at some point. It's like in a lot of games where you have fixed assets, the art will actually help remind you about what that card is. There's lots of so many games where I can instantly know what the the card does. Uh, Agricola, for instance, based on the artwork that's on it. But I don't remember what the name of the card is. Absolutely. I won't even check uh, what the reference text says. I know instantly what it does. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of the cards here don't feel particularly distinct. A couple of the higher level ones are, are quite unique, but a lot of them are just variations on the same mechanics. Like you might have one that says you can upgrade one ship and then move four spaces, and then the other one says you, know, you can upgrade two ships and then move two spaces so they're really just offering you the same mechanics and slightly different numbers uh and so really distinguishing those can be quite tricky for sure yeah and i understand why they would find it difficult to pay to have all these dozens and dozens of custom artworks done probably not avoiding the artwork was better than using clip art or something like that you know like some other space games i won't mention (laughs) a <laughs> um, couple of pet peeves I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention with the graphic design is I think the um, the orange uh, VP icon art on the goal the goal cards yes yeah. I think those are very hard to read and then they have this uh, interesting Roman numeral system pseudo Roman numeral system for the <laughs> tech levels it's one, two, and three slashes for one, two, and three. That's great. But then when it gets to tech level four, it's four slashes, which is clearly not Roman numerals. And it's not bad when it's printed on the back of the large scale card. But when it's printed in the tiny, tiny, tiny text on the front of a technology card. On the other side of the board from you. <laughs> on the other side of the board from you, it's very hard to distinguish between a level three tech and a level four tech, and that just drive, drives me nuts. Yeah, I think it's, that's a fair criticism. It does feel like it could have probably done with just one more pass in graphic design, uh, just a few little annoyances there in readability, I think. But I don't want to dwell too much on the negative. I looked a bit more closely at the BGG uh, artwork and photos and you know, there are so many things I do appreciate about the production, um, like the the big chunky pieces, um, the wooden pieces and the chunky dice look very attractive to touch and hold. So that's something I'm jealous about. Oh, they're great. Yeah. The only thing the only complaint about the dice is you don't actually get to roll them. I think there's, there's one sure. or two events that uh, that you roll them for a random uh, reward. But otherwise, they're, they're really just tokens. You don't, they're not actual dice, really. Yeah, yeah, I actually think that dice are a really clever use of uh, of a component. Um, essentially, the sides are 
the four power strengths of a potential ship. And then one side is the population symbol and one side is like the, the ore symbol. So really elegant use of a component. It probably didn't have to be dice, but uh, <laughs> it's cool that they did it that way. Yeah, and like I said, the the, um, the 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 player boards are all double sided uh, with the, like, the recesses for those dice to sit in. Uh, so it all it's, it's it's very nicely presented when uh, with the physical version. Maybe we can talk about some other positive things. I thought that the aforementioned goal cards achievements i think right yeah yeah there's four of them that are dealt i think at the beginning of each game and they're semi-random although you'll definitely see a a bunch of them come up repeatedly but uh they're sort of randomized and they're four fixed goals anyone can go for them but the the person who achieves each one first tends to get the highest score and then a second person can go slightly less, a third person can go slightly less. But some of them only have one slot available or two slots available. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. So th- th- I think there's two of them are the same every game and then two of them are randomized. I think it's the colonize four planets. So the first person to colonize four planets gets the higher number of rewards. And I think there's usually two two spots for that one. It also depends on the number of players, basically. Um, but if you have more players, there's more slots available for those achievements. Right. So despite the um, very difficult to read achievement point value, <laughs> I think it's really nice and elegant that it's obvious what you have to do, right? It's obvious what the goals you have to go for are. That adds some tension. So I really like that in, in a game where it, it very, very obviously tells you what you need to strive for course it can be as challenging as possible in the road to get there but i want to know what my goal is yeah they really shift the the value of what particular actions are worth in like between games so in this game the achievements are all favoring colonization so suddenly everyone's jockeying for that the the area control board is is much more competitive uh whereas another one might be more focusing on on those research actions. There's, and there's suddenly very little going on on the area control board. So it, it really sort of redirects the, the value of actions from game to game and just keeps things a little more dynamic. And another area where the uh, variety of setup and player interaction can come from is the sort of the space board where you lay out your spaceships and sort of jockey for position of control of those planets. I thought that was really clever and really simple, but not overdone. Uh, I think it's just about right. Yeah, I think each of the planets gives you some little bonuses. Like one, when you when you have control of that planet by having ships there, and then two, when you actually colonize it, you usually get some kind of bonus. And there's a good opportunity for some just uh, minor sort of engine building there that sort of synergize with some of your other strategies, looking for the right planet that might uh, combo well with, with your goals. So there's yeah, some good opportunity there. Right. Yeah, there's not too many planets. I think there's 12 A planets and 12 B type planets. Uh, the B type planets are, are just like slightly harder to take over, I believe. Uh, they're randomized, so you don't know what order they'll come out. You don't know what arrangement they'll come out in because the space map sort of has these branching paths. You have to fly in an optimal pattern to sort of do some territory control. It's not too much. It's not overwhelming. And it doesn't force the game into overwhelmingly territory control-based game. 
I think I'd rather see just one more uh, mechanic on the side of that to just to help differentiate from the, the research. Like, other than focusing heavily on research, focusing on the area control board is really your only other option. Is some something of a bit of a dichotomy there? And I think they have suggested that in the expansion, adding just one more sort of subsystem off to one side uh, that would I think would help break up that interactions a little more there. Yeah. And so even though you don't know what order they're going to come out in, you can expect that any given planet you're probably going to see over the course of a game. So if there's one with a bonus you're really wanting, you can sort of build a strategy around waiting for that planet and, and going straight for it. Uh, so there's not a lot of variety in that sense. I imagine that once you've mastered the game, experts are going to very much be zeroing in on specific planets or specific technologies sure yeah that's something that could easily be uh, amended with uh, expansion obviously those planets are just cards so it'd be very easy to add more variety to those planets or you could even replace the whole star map altogether and add a new branching path and make it more complex but i think everything hangs together pretty well I would say it's complex. I mean, it's not a it's not a gateway game. It's complex enough at this phase, and uh, those seeking more complexity would probably be already looking towards an expansion anyway. Yeah, I think they've they've, they've explicitly said they've got a few expansions in the works. That the first one is going to include a solo mode, which I'm quite keen to try, and something to do with leaders. So I, I imagine that's uh, further du- sort of doubling down on the um, variable player powers which is something we have we haven't really coved yet is that each of sure. the i think there are there are four factions in the game that by the, the base version of each is, is a very slight variation like this one has one extra resource this one has one extra population at the start uh, although there are adv- advanced modes I don't think either of us have tried those advanced modes yet it's not unfortunately not included in the uh the BGA implementation, but it sounds like they are doubling down on that with this leaders expansion, which I'm quite curious about. That would be welcome as having more variety. I knew that there was a different setup between the the players, but it was so slight that I I couldn't tell you what the difference is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, curiously, some of the reviews I've seen have actually said that the, they prefer the, the, the basic version over the advanced board because the, 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 while the advanced board gives you more distinct sort of uh, variability at the start of the game, it really pigeonholes you into specific strategies. You don't really have much agency over what strategy you might like to take. And if the, like, there are some luck elements in what cards come up that just might not jive uh, with the strategy that that faction demands. So there's, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm quite curious to try them, but it seems like for re- in terms of replayability, the base game, it gives you a bit more agency over what your strategy is going to be is where it's at. Very cool. What do you think? Have we covered the main points that we wanted to cover? Well, one other point I, 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 that was covered in one of the reviews is that we did discuss how there's not much in the theme. It's very dry, obviously, with very little art. And I, I was surprised to hear some of the reviews like uh, No Pun Included and Shut Up and Sit Down both found it to be quite emergent storytelling. And I think that's something that might come out more in physical games where you can, you're seeing the cards in, in better clarity and the, the way that the, 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 the names of the, some of these 
technologies like parallel universes or uh, ex- human experiments, that sort of thing, and the way those influence the mechanics come out a little more when you're at the table. Uh, and there is some emergent storytelling coming out of that, but you really have to do the work to, to get there, I think. And maybe when you're at the table interacting with people, that's more more likely to come out. Yeah, I didn't pick up on any of that. I thought it was super dry, but I don't really look for too deep of story from a Euro game. I mean, I would probably look to an RPG for that. Uh, If it has it, great. But I'm fine sort of just squinting and looking at the distilled mechanisms. But absolutely, it is dry. Like you said, you'd have to work to feel really um, (laughs) immersed in the the space-going adventure of this all. I mean, there is some nice touches in the physical version that I that I'd missed playing on BGA, like the the event cards. When you when you reveal a, a new technology, the first person to research that gets an event card with a bonus, and that the card is actually like a little like a news bulletin, like breaking news. This is the event, um, which it was a little bit of flavor that I that I'd missed previously. It's just one little, um, a few little tweaks there that that add to it. I think yeah, the comments in these reviews were that it was it sort of leans into that very dystopian but satirical leaning of science fiction like as you said that, that very retro sort of uh 60s 70s sort of starship troopers sort of <laughs> uh, view of, of science fiction so there, i think there is something there but you really have to dig for it got it are there any games you think you could uh, recommend sort of in the same genre or in the same sort of similar mechanisms yeah, I mean, well, as far as the the tech tree, it's been usually that's just a side mechanic of other games. Like I think you discussed uh, Eclipse that has a, a tech tree that's just one small part of the of the big picture. Eclipse, the tech tree. You, I would say probably most people engage in it somewhat, but there's definitely alternatives. You can you can take it or leave it. Yeah, I've not played the, I've not had that in, in many years, and nor have I played the Civilization games. I mean, that's, that's probably where most people are going to be familiar with the concept of the tech tree is the Civilization video games uh, that have sprawling trees of hundreds of different technologies over over millennia. Uh, and I imagine that the board game implementations of that have some representation of the tech tree there. Yeah, there's the civilization, uh, not the not the original one, but the fantasy flight one. Uh, I think has a tech tree pretty firmly embedded in that one. Uh, Eclipse, like you say, it is pretty strong in there. I would say it's not dominant, but it's it's definitely one of the main mechanisms. And um, you know, like thematically, also Eclipse really really covers the same ground as Beyond the Sun, with a little bit more flavor and flair. The distinction between the factions and how they play, their character art, is much stronger. It always has been, even in base Eclipse, than Beyond the Sun. And I think that's fine. There's different styles even within sci-fi, right? Personally, I find Eclipse a little bit more evocative because it has a little bit of that um, shields up, you know, phasers on maximum, launch the photon torpedoes sort of uh, swashbuckling. Well, you're, there is a lot more depth to the uh, the combat in that many that you've many different types of weapons and rolling dice and definitely you've a lot of uh, luck. But the, the territorial expansion and exploration is also a lot more yes, in depth yeah. in Eclipse as well. So and that's something I'm missing in a, in, a, in a science fiction technology building game. I really want to see some of that exploration. Is what, is what I'm really, really looking for. Uh, and there is some of that, I guess, in the, the discoverability in the tech tree. There is some sort of uh, a little bit of exploration in that discovery, I think. <laughs> a little bit. 
And then I was reminded of a game that you and I played just once, the relatively new Anno 1800 game, board game. Yeah, it didn't explicitly call itself a tech tree, but there is like the the way that you research different resources in that game is is quite similar. There's like a lot of prerequisites. Like you have to research to to make a, a magnifying glass. First, you have to research glass, and then you have to research metal, and you have to, like some of the, some of the items require two or three prerequisites, and that which in turn require further prerequisites. And so it was actually a lot more uh, complicated the way the tree of, of uh, prerequisites sort of crisscrossed each other in, in quite uh, quite an unintuitive way, but it was it's what it was quite in depth, I thought it was interesting. I thought that game was interesting too. Not not a huge fan of the theme, but no. uh, mechanically it was interesting and uh, you know you could you could easily transpose that into a spacefaring theme because it didn't have much of a theme uh, to begin with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought that game was intriguing and kind of a classic resource conversion game. A la Le Havre. But, uh, I would probably have to give it a second shot to, to give it a good assessment. Yeah, I'm really curious about that one. Um, I mean, th- theme aside, the I mean, the, the, the tech tree was static. It's going to be the same every game. Like those resources are going to have the same requirements every game, uh, the same order in which to, mm-hmm. to build them. But the, the cards that you get, uh, the way you build your engine is really dictating your access yeah, to those. Yeah, the new lands that you discover will give you access to some of the required resources, right? Which feed into those later technologies. I think that's how it works in Anno, right? Yeah, it's been a while now, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, I do want to revisit that one sometime. Cool, cool. Yeah, I enjoy Beyond the Sun. I would say it's not not my favorite game, but uh, I would I would play it anytime anyone asks. Yeah, well, I'm definitely curious to see uh, some more variety with those expansions. I would definitely be revisiting revisiting it as they come out. I think. Well, uh, should we uh, talk about the next game we'll be playing? Yes. Okay, so next episode means we're returning to the video game side of the coin. So uh, what video game have you got lined up, Mark? This one actually has a bit of a board game flair to it. It's a game that I've been interested in a while, never picked up, but it, of course, came out on Game Pass, so we have no excuse now. (laughs) It's a game called Iron Harvest, which is a real-time strategy PC game. And the board game connection is it is set in the same universe and has the same concept art as the mega board game hit Scythe, 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 uh, from Stonemaier Games. It's set in a alternate history, Europe, Eurasia in the early 20th century, I suppose, or late 19th century. And it has peasants and fields and rolling mechs battling each other and yeah, don't bury the lead there. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the art's very evocative. I played a couple of missions. Have you started it yet? No, no. no I'm, I'm a big fan of Scythe and that world. Uh, the artist, I think, is Jacob Brzezowski. I'm not, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, sorry. Um, but I'm yeah, a big fan of the world building right. in that universe. Beautiful uh, and, artwork. i heard good things about this game. I've heard like, the, the multiplayer isn't great, but it has a really strong campaign which is what i come to to these games for i was a big fan of uh warcraft 3 back in the day a little bit of starcraft so uh looking forward to trying this no spoilers but at least one of the characters from scythe there are characters (laughs) makes a takes up a prominent part in at least the first few missions 
enter animal companion i hope <laughs> animal companions are present yeah excellent yes yeah so that's something good to look forward to yeah i'll be i'll be getting to that shortly and if anyone out there listening uh, wants to join along with us please try out iron harvest and you can send us your thoughts about that game as well or any of the other games we've covered yes as i mentioned it's gonna be on it's on uh, game pass on pc i believe so you got no excuse. Get Game Pass, <laughs> get playing Iron Harvest, and play along with us on the Omni Gamers Club. Hopefully, we'll be uh, able to to be talking about physical board games again by the time we're uh, we're talking about our next one for the club. For sure. Yeah, my theory: start small. Uh, so <laughs> yes. maybe we'll be doing something in a backyard. Party games. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, on behalf of the Omni Gamers Club, I've been Mark Uesa. This is Daniel Winter. All right. And uh, until next time. Insert motto uh, catchphrase. (laughs) That's a good one. All right. We'll work on that. (laughs) All right. Take care. Next time. Bye.